Welcome to another episode of the Salt and Sugar Podcast. And this is your man, Cameron. And I'm Faith. What's going on, y'all? I hope y'all having a great week. You know what? My week's been great. Nothing crazy happening. I mean, we had a, a regular Tuesday this week. We are on a regular Wednesday. Nothing's crazy is happening. The world is as it should be. Everything is right in life. And no, I'm lying. That that was uh, that was something. So this is the podcast post presidential debate, and um, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was it was a lot of things. It was a lot of things. Uh, people were asking me to describe it to them earlier, like what words I would use, and I think I tried to lay out every word in the thesaurus that I knew of that has something to do with detestable, abhorrent. Uh, I just thought it was it was one of the worst things I've ever seen from a presidential debate of all time. I think just like the general nature of um, just not following debate rules was just very um, interesting. So it you just you weren't really watching anything, I guess you could say, because it was just kind of like you're trying to listen to one person and then like everybody's talking over everybody. And it's like, you know, I don't think anyone came away from it with their questions answered. I think we left with more questions uh, than anything else. And, uh, you know, obviously because of what we do, um, I I, lo- I watched the entire thing because mm-hmm. I figured, you know, I need to be do my due diligence as an American citizen and I need to watch this because there's obviously something I'm going to learn very important about the future of this country that we live in. And that was maybe the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, again, I've, I've, I've watched Al Gore and 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 in Bush in 2000. I saw John Kerry in Bush in 2004. We saw McCain in Obama in 2008. We saw in 2012 with Mitt Romney and, and Barack Obama. And then we saw Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And even the presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I don't think had the same kind of vitriol to it as this one did. Mm-mm. I don't think that it did. But I also think that, like, you know, I know people talked about you know, both sides, they both could have been more mature. And I think that, you know, there was moments where, yeah, that could have been the case. But I also think that from what I've seen, and this is not just in the debates, just in general, the president tends to bully and provoke people. And so you do your best to remain calm and to remain civil. But like, after a while, it's kind of like, can you just chill so we can like be normal? Um, But he doesn't have I don't think the ability to do that or chooses not to do that, which makes it hard. Um, And for me, like, regardless of where you land on uh, the political spectrum, I just think we've lost like the, the desire for human decency and respecting one another. I just don't feel like that really exists as much anymore. You know, I haven't told like someone in serious conversation to shut up in years you know, there's just, there's better ways to communicate yourself. Right. Sure. And again, my parents taught me, you just don't tell people to shut up. You know, you don't really tell people to be quiet either. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's condescending. But what was so interesting was that when Joe Biden said that yesterday, that was like the 15th or 16th least disrespectful thing that was done last night. And it was so fitting in the context of what was happening because we essentially were watching the president of the United States of these Americas who was going on tangents. He interrupted Chris Wallace throughout the entire night. Yeah. I felt bad for that. dude. Chris Wallace couldn't even get a question in. And I, I just thought I was like, what, what happened to decorum when we had these kind of conversations? I, I can't say that I've ever seen that kind of a show. And even before we get into what was said from a substantive standpoint, I just really wonder where America goes from here, from this point in our leadership. Because again, uh, let's not let's also remember that earlier this year with AOC. Remember what the the Republican leader said about her on the steps of Congress. He essentially told her to shut the f up. Mm-hmm. Excuse my French, bitch. Mm-hmm. We remember that. Like I I remember 
hearing that. You remember her response and then the flat-out denial on his side, even though the reporter heard the same thing. And you, we've just heard the, the way that people have spoken to each other over and, the last four years. And, like, the complicity. Like, it's mm. really interesting to me to watch people who say they're for, like, morals and values, and then you have this unhinged president, and they say, oh, well, like, his behavior's not great, but we're, we're voting for the party. And it's like, no. It, no, you can't say that on one hand you want morals and values, and then you have somebody that's completely unhinged, not even acting or treating people right. You have senators, like you're saying, doing that and saying that, and people are making excuses. I'm like, that's just not right. Like, just in general, it's just not right. And there's a lot of Republicans that aren't all acting like that, but it's the fact that people are standing by and dismissing the behavior for the sake of keeping a united front. And it's really unfortunate that not enough people are willing to break rank to say, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't even be talking to each other like this. Well, even, again, we we are in this age of 2020 of, of, of activism, quote-unquote, where people are trying to become more aware of racism and all that stuff. So Mitt Romney, earlier this year, uh, he actually went to a Black Lives Matter protest, you know, and so he's on the front lines and declaring that black lives are important and we need to stand, especially here in the state of Utah. And, and then yet a month and a half later, he fully endorses Donald Trump as the leader of America. Like, this is the person that we need. And I'm like, can we just even run through the short list? I can't remember everything. But what did he say about African countries? They were they were assholes and, and places that don't need, we don't need any of those people here in this country. He said about uh, Hispanic people that they're rapists and murderers. I mean, he the even, even again, and again, people, people that are dismissing this, you need to get caught up using language like calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas is racist using language, calling it the China virus is racist. And even on the national stage with the world watching with an opportunity to show presidential decorum, he chose not to still calling it the China virus, still blaming China for all of our problems here in this country when we should have done better on this side and we still could be doing better on this side. But it's this administration that's kept us from moving forward. So anyway, mm. to get into the actual substance of what happened from what we can pull from it. So let's talk about voter fraud and mail-in voting. And so Joe Biden brought up a really good point because Donald Trump has been complaining about the possibility of mass voter fraud. And even so saying that we might not have the election results for months because of mail-in voting. And so what's going to happen is, is are you willing to, Chris Wallace asked, are you willing to hold off on declaring the presidency and your election victory until we get all the votes in? So surely a natural question. But Donald Trump, because he truly believes that all, all of the media, all of America, except again for those who are supporters, except for Fox News apparently, everyone is bent against him. So now he's saying that, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can believe those results. And then even so, we get to the mail-in voting. We get to the end of the debate, and he says to people that you need to be on standby. Go go to the voting places and make sure people are doing it the right way. Yeah, and, he, and to watch. And that's voter intimidation. He also said that some of the mail-in ballots are like in the lake or something. And so I'm not going to, I don't know that story, so I can't say if they're there or not. But I do think that everything that he is saying is to um, get his base all riled up because what I've noticed from talking points from people is they say everything he says. So he says he's the best president we've ever had. And I see a lot of people say he's the best president we've ever had in America. And I'm like, for who? Mm. This has just been... Anyway, so yeah, let's, let's, let's keep on with the, with the content of the conversation. So the, obviously the big point, the big point that everyone took away, Van Jones, all the political panelists from CNN across the board, when this comment was made, he was asked by Chris Wallace and Joe Biden to denounce white supremacy. Will you take this time to outright denounce white supremacy? And so Donald Trump begins to go on his elaborate speech in his way and essentially says, well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to call them? And so on his own accord, not prompted, he invokes the name Proud Boys, which is the name 
of a white supremacist organization. He invoked that name. Yeah, he said it. He didn't, Chris didn't give him um, that. Most of America probably hadn't heard of the Proud Boys before, but now they have. Yeah. And they're tweeting all over Twitter since last night. So he said, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. So instead of denouncing white supremacy, he gives us a name of a new club that we can all Google. And some people can throw their financial support behind. And they're selling shirts. Selling t-shirts now. Yeah, on Amazon. Amazon needs to take some shirts down. Anyway, but this this is what I'm saying. So... We're, what what in the world we I can't even ask my president of the United States, which includes everybody, black people, brown people, indigenous people, white people, everybody. You can't even tell me that you can't denounce white supremacy. If we're if this was a grade level, right? Mm-hmm. And I was to ask you, at what level does it take to say I am against any kind of hate speech and actions? that do damage to another person on the basis of the color of their skin. How old must I be to say that's evil and we don't need to have that? Five. Five? Our well, president. five-year-olds can do that. But our president can't. That's really unfortunate. And I feel like it's really sad that I'm, like, talking about who I would have over him. Like, I feel like there's, like, just a sense of, like, desperation, like, in my soul because it's, like, I don't remember feeling angst like this before. Not like this. Like, he is, like, I just find that I have to, like, pray and fight hopelessness because he really activates the craziest people. Like, those Proud Boys are so excited. They're like, we're ready. And they are really going to continue to go to the polls and intimidate people. And that is just so unfortunate. Like, and I think about even people, and there's people in our own community. I've seen black people talking about, I'm not voting for what? Like out of all the things that people have done for you, your grandparents have like fought for you, fought for your right to vote. And you're going to say you don't want to vote. That's just like, nobody needs to not be voting. That's how I feel. Well, even, and even with that now, we wouldn't, in the state of Georgia, once again, Kemp would not be the governor had it not been for voter suppression. Right. So clearly your vote is important. Clearly it matters because they wouldn't be fighting so hard to take it away. So why else would you have somebody watch the polls? Why would somebody show up? So even even up here happening in Atlanta, so if you go to North Atlanta and Roswell, the suburbs, there were black people that live in Roswell and Alpharetta that were trying to vote and they were getting questioned by older white people saying like, well, do you live in this community? Is this where you're supposed to be voting? He is definitely activating the worst of America. Like they're emboldened. They feel protected now. And of course they do. Here's my thing. This is supposed to be the law and order president, right? That's what he, that's what his, his moniker is. But here's what I want to know. Maybe you could help me faith. Cause you're obviously very intelligent. You pick up things that I cannot pick up. Your level of discernment might be greater than mine in this area. For somebody who supposedly believes in law and order and control. Why does that never apply to him? All of last night, could you say anything about last night was orderly or decent or controlled? He flew off the hinges from the start. So as soon as Chris Wallace, a moderator, tries to get him under control, he pushes back. He fights against it. As soon as Joe Biden starts speaking, he pushes back. He brings up other points that he believes are salient. And the whole time is chaos. But yet, you want police to go out into these communities and control them because you believe that we need more police to make sure that black people stay in their place. But you, you can do whatever you want. It's the great hypocrisy of America that again, rich white men can do whatever they want and everybody else got to fall in line. Mm-hmm. And that was apparent last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it really ironic that he prides himself on law and order but can never follow any rules like and then that people don't see anything problematic with that and they're like well we're just gonna follow our party i will give that to the republicans man they they be riding together sink or swim they be loyal to their toxic relationship nothing makes sense and they believe it like wow 
It's very interesting. And I'm not saying that it's bad to hold, like, you know, certain conservative values, whatever. I think everybody has their own values they can hold, you know. So if that's where you're at and that's just more so where you lean um, values-wise, okay, cool. But I think if those values don't also include, like, how you treat people and how people are treated in this country, you're kind of missing the point. But, Faith, remember, they say, they tell us, though, I'm not voting for my pastor. I don't need my pastor to be my president. I need a leader. I need somebody who's going to step in the gap, handle this business. This is not leadership. This is chaos. It's not leadership. And I have heard people say that, but that, but this is not leadership. It really isn't. And I try to honestly carry to the best of my ability a, a view to see both sides. But you cannot tell me that this man is doing anything that represents God in any way that we should be excited about. He's not. He's not. Like, and there's so many people saying, like, God sent him to us. To who? For what? For what? For why? Because God sent plenty of kings in the Old Testament, and they wasn't there for your benefit. Yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, man, I my hope for people is that they go and vote. Think about your vote. And think about, you know, who you are voting for and what you want this country to be like. My main thing is this. Even if you do hold those conservative values, if you maybe want to have an election next time, you should probably vote not for him. Because as far as he's concerned, he just wants to stay the president and not leave and there not to be a peaceful transfer of power. And that is an America I do not want to live in. But once again, the Republican, if you look at the, the construct of the Republican Party, at the heart of it is maintaining absolute power for those who are already in power. It's a shame. The whole conversation with the executive order that was pushed out in the White House that was referenced last night about racial mm-hmm. sensitivity, gender Yeah, because he said that, that it's... Uh... It's racist. racist. He said what you're doing, what they're doing is racist. They're trying to tear apart our country. And I was like, huh? (laughs) What? But again, if if you're white and you're in power and you and willfully ignorant to what this country is, that's a true statement for you. And you know what? Everybody else around you believes the same. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very true. I just think that it's really 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 unfortunate and i think we're i almost feel like we're at a point of no return as a country like how how do we even get civil discourse back i remember when you could disagree with people you can't almost even do that now here's the thing like i pretty much draw a line at like if you ain't rocking with my humanity then we just can't we can't rock together that's just not gonna work for me um but I just feel like any level-headed kind of discussions, like, those just don't happen anymore. Facebook is a dumpster fire. Everybody's fighting all the time. Like, I don't – this exhausts me. I don't know about anybody else, but, like, I do not like arguing with people all the time. Look, I think you're being too hard on Donald Trump. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> I think you need to come off it because Donald Trump has done something that no one else has been able to do in this year. You know what that was? What is that? He brought Big Ten football back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He gave us college football. I laughed so hard yesterday. I said, wait, sir, did he mean that? You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me in the, the Bigger and Blacker comedy special by Chris Rock. And Chris Rock was talking to his friends and, like, you know, how people be like, yo, bro, I ain't never been to jail, bro. I take care of my business. He's like, you're not supposed to go to jail, fool. It's like. What you mean? Like, why, why should I give you props for something that, like, you, you didn't do anything? First off, it's sports. That ain't that is not one of the five topics we're talking about tonight, sir. I'm sorry. Chris Wallace ain't said nothing about no football. football. Back. I'm like, wait, 200,000 people have died? And 204. You, and you brought football back? Like, just thinking about that even just makes me sad. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I I'm gonna I'm not even gonna lie. I feel like my head is a little foggy. I couldn't even sleep last night. I was just like, God, help us all. And it was just really apparent to me that the world that us black people live in and the world that white people live in is entirely different because they don't go to sleep thinking about 
these activated white supremacist proud boys that are going to do all that they can to try to intimidate and attack black communities like they did in the past. And they just are going to get really excited and do it again and know that they can do it without consequence because they've had a president and local police forces, not all, but some back them up. And that's a problem. So we can get to that subject, but you know, what was interesting last point on this. So Rick Santorum, who is a political analyst now, he ran for, for president years ago and you know, he, even he came out as a Republican has said that last night was a travesty. Mm-hmm. He, he believes that Donald Trump hurt himself doing what he did. So what did I do? I said, you know what? This is a reasonable night. We're all human beings. Surely tonight, this would be the night that I would turn to Fox news and see Sean Hannity and them say, you know what? Trump could have done better. Nothing. Nothing. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, at what point? There is no point. Apparently there's no point. At what point can you actually even hold someone that you favor, someone you care about, someone you support? At what point can you hold that person accountable? Yeah. Say, hey, you should do better here. You didn't need to do that. Should you have brought up Bo and Hunter Biden? Is that the right time to do that? No. But to not even be able to muster up the courage to say that. It's cowardly. Yeah. But I just I just thought that was But that's what I'm saying. Like that's where I feel like we've lost like a sense of of decency. Like we've lost just that sense of actually caring for people, caring for our neighbors, not bullying people. I mean the way he's talking is the way like abusers talk to their people. You know what I'm saying? Like that's did, terrible. Did you see him and Melania at the end of the debate? I, I'm not gonna lie. I haven't seen them hugging in years. Um, I've seen them. I've seen her take her hand back when they try to hold hand. I haven't seen them hug in years. I've never seen the at least when you know Barack Obama and Michelle. They would give you a little, little, you know, one of them, one of them real quick. I love you. Yeah. I'm gonna see you later, honey. Take care of your business, kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. But even Laura Bush, they would, they would, they would be holding hands and and walking and all that other stuff. And I'm like, but with with. With Donald Trump and Melania, it's like, yo, like, but then you also saw what happened with Joe Biden. I just, I just think that is such a, uh, a paradigm that people, I think we're aware of, but being more aware of it, it's like, when you ain't taking care of business at home, that's what it looks like. But again, that's a whole nother issue, but that just, it means something to me to not, like to me as a man, like not, not having my, my, my wife, like be, feeling like she can show me affection in public. That just, that says a lot to me. Yeah. Says a lot about a character of a man, you know, for for me. Yeah. Um, So let's get to what we call race in our inner cities, race and violence in our inner cities. And as Chris Wallace said, uh, we're going to talk about race in America. But if you would like to bring up another question, please be willing to do so. It's not that the perfect encapsulation of the conversations of race in America. It's like, you know what? We can talk about it. But if there is literally anything else you would like to talk about, like, the gorilla at the zoo. I think it for me it was just supposed to be a conversation about race, and it turned into um, policing, violence, yeah. law, law and order. What law are we doing? Order. Policing, and then all the terrorist organizations. And I'm like, how how did Black Lives Matter get listed as a terrorist organization? Because because it has the word. I don't know if you know this. It has the word black in it. Anyway, I was just like, wow. Well, do you realize this? That to this day, there had not been a white supremacist, a United States bred and domestic white supremacist organization that had ever been dubbed a domestic terrorist organization. The only time that happened is when we had a white supremacist organization that did not originate here. But to this day, there had not yet been one until 2020. So you telling me? That all them years of lynching and oppression and murder and burning, the KKK was never listed as a domestic terrorist organization until 2020. But Black Lives Matter, they've been alive for three minutes. Yeah, but I, I don't even think like that little like they're they were talking about the pledge and stuff that he did and everything. Y'all, 
The wall isn't even paid for. They I don't, pay for. I don't even. What Mexico supposed to pay for? I don't even believe in this pledge to the black community. All this money and the KKK is on the terrorists. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I need to. I need to see proof that this is going to happen. All I know is the president that's supposed to be representing me. He gave a shout out to the white the the white supremacist organization last night. So whatever denouncing and whatever support. Whatever to that. Up, whatever that initiative is. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Proud Boys is making more money than, than any black organization right now. God help us. I uh, mean, literally, that's just how I feel at this point. I'm like, yeah. God help us, man. Like, we, well, this, is, this is, like, really crazy right now. We're in a wild situation. So, Faith, I have a question. Again, the know. excellent Faith, the intelligent Faith, the wonderful. Because I can't understand. You help me because I can't, I, I can't get it. I don't think the audience, maybe they can't understand either. Why is it that every time three white men get in a room to talk about race, which I think is hilarious that, you know, you had three old white men talking about race in America. What's best for us as a community without us being present in the conversation. That's a whole nother conversation though. Why is it that when we talk about black people, those black people in America, the blacks, everyone, the blacks are moving into our suburbs. Everyone go back to the city. The blacks are taking over. Everyone run for the hills. Carol, get your basket. Why is it that when we talk about black people, we always got to talk about police? What is it? Because there, because it's just a dog whistle. It's a dog whistle. It's a racist dog whistle. You talk about black people, and it's like we have to be controlled. Like we have to be. We're we're untamed, and so therefore. We need law and order and policing, blah, 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 blah. To make sure that we don't harm ourselves anymore. And again, the classic, but I have not heard Chicago reference since Michael, Mike, reference this much since Michael Jordan was a Chicago Bull in the 1990s. Since the six championships he won in the 90s, I have not heard Chicago brought up this much. And every single time Donald Trump talks about black people, he talks about Chicago. All the time. When he talks about policing, Chicago. It's like, y'all, do y'all really not believe that black people bring anything else to the table except for what your stereotypes Besides are and what you think you believe about us? Guns and drugs, and that's what they think. So, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I, and I was, I was disappointed when, when, that, when Chris Wallace wrote that initial question down in the first place because I just thought the framework of talking about race and violence in our cities is inherently racist. That, that question is inherently racist. It isn't, it is a racist question. Um, but we, we like, and I think this is like, I guess like where my head is at in order for us to really make any progress in this country, first of all, we have to speak the truth and we have to own the truth of what this, our history is as a country. But then two, it's going to take all of us like, and that means all the colors, everybody coming together every ethnicity and standing up and saying that this is wrong. This is not who we want to be. This is terrible behavior. Like this is like, I just think we have to like all. But my, my question faith, and it's, it's almost rhetorical. Are we not sure this is not what white America wants to be? Well, that that's, I mean, honestly, like, and I had this conversation, I, y'all, I had these conversations with pastors, with leaders, and I mentioned this this morning to a, a great leader. I said, I at this point, since 2012. I'll say this. I don't know if I'll say all of white America, but I will say that I think there is some white America that does not want to uphold this. But listen to this, though. This is why I say all of white America. Because, again, it's not individual white people. It's not pockets of white people. So, again, white people, it's not you individually. It's, it's not your clusters of your family and your friends or the people in your social media group that are, you know, the anti-black uh, white people for justice league or whatever you're in. Like, um, I'm not, I'm not, it's not those folks, but it's white culture, white culture. Again, if you look at the foundation of this country, white culture was built on supremacy and racism, xenophobia, misogyny. That's what it was built on. It came over here to colonize a land that was not theirs. It stole land from people. It murdered people. It brought 12.5 million African people over here to work this land. When white culture was defeated in Haiti, instead of saying, hey, you won, they said, nah, 
France said, you're going to pay us back that $21 billion that you owe us because y'all had the nerd to be free. You see, like when I, when I say that about white culture, I'm not talking about those who are allies and those who are practicing anti-blackness or combating anti-blackness, those who are, are learning how to engage in this territory and in this space. But when I talk about white culture, it's that culture that says that there's always a whataboutism. Sure. There's always an excuse. There's always another question. It can't just be that, man, you know what? Black people, y'all have just gotten the short end of the stick for 400 years. Yeah. Let's do what we need to do to fix this. But I that but what I'm saying is, is that I think that it does take everybody to get to a point. It will take everybody to get to a point for us to really like make some progress. Will everybody get to a point? Probably not. But I do think there is something to be said about the people within the system of whiteness that do that decide to divest from it. And and denounce it. I'm just yeah. saying like because I I I don't I'm just saying that like in order in my mind, in order for us to really move forward I have to believe that the progress that is happening with people's hearts and minds changing, people who um, once thought one way and are now shifting their thought patterns and beliefs and really wanting to learn and be a part of this work of justice, that they can also be a part of the solution. So this is why we call this a salt and sugar podcast, because at different points, we're going to be salt, we're going to be sugar. And that, that is a great answer, Faith. I, I agree with you. I agree with your 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 outlook on that. And again, maybe I'm just going to have a little more salt today. Because otherwise, in my mind, it's like we're effed. But, but, this, is, but this is the thing. But this is the thing with this faith. I, it's not that I disagree with you. And I do believe that many well-intentioned, wonderful white people, wonderful white Christians, you exist out there. You're listening. I know a lot of y'all, which is why you're here. But white America as a whole and I mean a majority, has never, ever willingly gone through the process of truly wanting restorative justice to be done in this country. The only way that has typically happened is, with, again, on us with a nonviolent spirit, a nonviolent protest, again, not, a, not, not one that's, that's a pacifist, not one that, that rejects action and strategizing and organizing. That is not what nonviolence means. Again, if you want to learn about nonviolence, go read Dr. King. Go read, where do we go from here? But a, a one that activates the human spirit within inside of us. But here's the thing. Even with Lyndon B. Johnson, when the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, it wasn't willingly that they lined up for that. They were forced to because we marched, because we protested, because we did sit-ins, because we did what we had to do. And their, their hand was forced. Because at that point, there were too many people in the American construct that said what's happening on television in front of us with these dogs and the water hoses, that's too much. We and have that's to what do I'm so talking about. We need the too many. So I do think that there will be, I do think there are going to be iterations of, of white folks and pockets and leaders and politicians that will stand up and that will answer the call. But here, this is not, again, this is not even me being a pessimist, but as a reader of history. It has never been where a majority of white culture has identified as such. And this is what I'm saying. So a majority of black people, we can agree that racism not only has existed, but it does exist. Right. We have we can agree that we have all been called a nigger before. We've been called a nigger. We've been looked at. We've been followed. We've been shunned out of jobs and opportunities. We've had stuff happen to us at our schools and universities. We know it. A majority of us, not all, but many of us, most of us. Most of us have had a white friend in our lives. Most of us have gone through the process of trying to help a white person learn. Most of us have gone through the process of trying to help white people get it and being rejected mm -hmm. by a bunch of white people. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, and again, y'all, this is me. This is not Faith. This is Cameron. I believe that there is a reckoning happening right now. I believe that there will be justice. I, I believe truly that there will be reparations in this country because there is no way for this country to survive unless we have reparations for African-American folks and for Native American folks or indigenous folks. Yeah. We can't, because there's no way to move on. I know, and I think what I'm saying is, is that I think that we're getting to a point. I don't know if we're fully there. I think we're getting to a reckoning point. 
But this, but this, when there's a reckoning though, and I'm I'm so glad that y'all are participating in this conversation because I actually think this is really good for you all. Cause now you see me and Faith, dude, we don't always agree outright. That's but that's good though. That's why we have such a good relationship. But this is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I do think there is a reckoning coming. But what I what I don't I do not though I do not think. I don't know. And again, this is this is the premise. So the last sermon that Dr. King was going to preach was America may have to go to hell. Yeah. But he was killed before that. And again, America may have to go to hell because it refused to deal with racism, poverty, and militarism. Mm -hmm. Refused to do so. And again, we have been creeping along. But y'all, like the economic divide is worse than it's ever been in modern American history since the 1960s. I don't disagree with that. Like, I don't disagree that this might have to just be where we're at and where we're going. I get that. Like, but what I am saying is we as a people. Like black people or as a whole, like American people. Well, black people, but then like a bunch of us people of color. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of us when we all get ourselves together. Now, we're not all going to be on the same page because we know there's a lot of nuance to that. But I do think there is like when what you saw, which, of course, was going to be short lived. Right. Like it's going to be short lived. What happened when people are sad about George Floyd and OK and wow, we don't want to see that happen. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get people you get that kind of feeling and that kind of momentum that just does not stop. You know what I'm saying? It happened in the summer and then it slowed down. And so then everybody went back to their normal lives. But when you take that, when you capsulize the height of that moment and it lasts, we would have had a whole lot more change had it not just been a a month long thing. Agreed. And so I, but I do think I'm not disagreeing with you about the overarching thing of white America and where we're at and the complicity. But I am saying that I have to hold a belief that there is a piece of white America that will have enough to be fed up enough to divest and start getting their friends to come along with them and not buy into that system. So we'll all um, do it. Probably not majority, probably not. But I think that Like, I don't know, maybe for me, maybe I just have to hold on to an ounce of optimism because I can't be sitting around my house hopeless all day long. I feel like we just need to gather ourselves and keep pushing forward. And and I think, too, for yourself, that's a great point. I I do think that for some of you again listening uh, for faith, you there is a sense of optimism. But again, I don't think it's I don't think it's a negligent optimism. I think it's it's a healthy optimism. It should be there. I, I think, again, from my framework. I don't, I'm not, even after last night, I didn't feel despair. Uh, I didn't feel lost uh, again, but generally, but the reason is it's not because I don't have a sense of, of humanity. Of course I'm hurting, but I'm, I'm a reader of history enough. I believe in God deeply enough that I realize that even if it's chaos all around me, we will pull through this. But again, it's not going to be because everybody wanted to come along for the ride. And I'm comfortable at this point was saying that after 2012 when Trayvon Martin was murdered in the street with Skittles and an iced tea in its hand, after 2016 when Terrence Crutcher, Flannel Castile, and Alton Sterling were murdered in the street, after 2018, after 2020 with Breonna Taylor and with George Floyd and with Kenneth Ross Jr. and Daniel Prude and Ahmaud Arbery, after all of that, I have seen in my own lifetime, not even including the 1960s and beyond that, I have seen enough evidence that while there will be great many, a great many amount of white people who will band together with us, there will be people of other ethnicities who will band together in the common cause for the beloved community. I fully believe it with everything in my being, but I do not believe that white America and white culture will survive in this beloved community in a new world because, again, it's not built on equity. It has to be rebuilt like that. That's the thing. Like you're seeing what it is. It's that construct of what white culture is as of now has to be deconstructed and it has to be rebuilt into something new because there's never been an equitable America. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing, just a different way. Sure. Maybe I'm just it could be from last night, but I don't know. Again, I feel like I feel like this every day and I just be I wake up, I pray, I eat my breakfast, I drink my. Non-fat iced teas, and then uh, 
just just keep it moving. I think that we're saying the same thing in a, in a different way because I have that same understanding and realization that everything has to come down and be deconstructed. I'm just saying I also believe it's going to take us together being a part of doing that. That's all I'm saying. That's Agreed. It. That's all. Even if it's just a remnant, that's that's all God needs. Hey, look, Isaiah 1, 9, what did the word say? Woo, had it not been for a remnant, you would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Had it not been for a remnant, you would have been like them burnt people in them cities. And on that note, we're going to start talking about <laughs> Lovecraft Country. Yo, man, what a transition. Man, so we have a... It's been a pretty interesting episode. Just for the sake of time, we're not going to get into everything, but we we just need to focus on the best part of the episode. What's the best part? What's the best part? Well, I mean, the end. I I'm just going to say one line, my favorite line. Name yourself. Mm, yeah, so speak to that black woman. Why was that? Why was that so powerful for you? Because she was able to do pretty much everything like she wanted to do and get her own confidence. And in doing so, she named herself. And I watched that episode and I, I'm like, I have to watch it again, but I watched it like, what have I named myself? Like, what have I named myself? And the other thing she said in the episode, I think it was something like to her husband about how it was almost like, like you watched me like lose myself Mm. and you didn't say anything. Mm. And like how many women lose themselves for a person. I have to be really honest and vulnerable and say that's my deepest fear in life is to get so caught up with someone that I lose myself. Like, I don't, if you really love me, you won't let me lose myself for you. And I think far too many women get, they lose themselves because they're so consumed with pleasing, helping, doing everything for their man and their family. Like, how is it that we can help a man explore, like, touch the boundaries of his dreams, help him do everything he wants to do, and then you're going to sit here and you're going to let me lose myself? I think I would be really upset. And I think that when I, like, was talking to my friends about it, like, as a black woman, to be able to name yourself have agency over yourself, over your body, over what you want to do, over your authority and your power. It's like a miracle because we've already seen it now with Brianna Taylor and everything that has happened. People really do not love, honor, and respect black women the way that they should. And we deserve to be able to name ourselves. We deserve to be able to pursue our dreams and things that we love. And we deserve to be loved and do those things. Like, and far too often we have to pick and choose. And I just, I don't want to have to choose. Yeah, that, that obviously it, it was a powerful moment. I think uh, one, I just love the imagery that uh, again, this divine figure was a black woman and she had marvelous black hair you know I just I love the 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 concept of that moment and again I think it's, it's really powerful for for her to be able to have the ability to name herself and um I even think you know even just learning about Hippolyta like I didn't know who Hippolyta was you know prior to watching the series and to get an opportunity to hear the stories about her and then I again once again uh, it's just so interesting that even in her being Hippolyta the the oppressor the, the people whom were the warriors were black women, but then the oppressors whom they were fighting were not at their time. But the oppressors were these future men to come, were these colonial white men mm-hmm. that they fought against. And I just thought the imagery was so powerful and fighting against your invaders, mm-hmm. you know, and the folks that took away your ability to name yourself. 
I think there's something so powerful about that being shown on television. But I think, again, uh, where we are right now is that is to fight, you know, especially with our women is fighting against the very people who, again, have taken your ability to name yourself at times. And even us as black men, we Mm -hmm. have not also given black women the ability to name themselves in ways as well. But to that point, what's so crazy about it is I honestly truly don't think all black men or most black men who do that, I don't think they do it on purpose. It's they also, they feel, and again, you know what's, oh man, there was a, um, there's an amazing uh, Jane Baldwin interview that was obviously, you know, 30 years ago. But one of the things that was discussed with this idea that when a black man, when he comes home and then he doesn't necessarily uh, treat his his wife the way that she should be treated, again, it comes from this place. Uh, and again, it's with Nikki Giovanni, sorry. So Jane Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. And he was just talking about this whole idea that it's, again, it's, 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 it shouldn't happen. It's awful. But the reason that a black man comes home and that, that happens is because it's, it's being done to him. Like he doesn't know a different reality. And again, it's not an excuse. It just is what it is. That's just how you get to that point. And again, I think the construct of racism, I think the construct of what we have experienced in America has taken away our ability to love our women sometimes, not in the best way. Our ability to support our women in the best way, our ability to empower our women, our ability to take a woman who maybe is doing something greater than us, that has a, a greater brand recognition, a greater name, that she's living her own dream. She is going and making the tour guide. She is going out and earning the money. She is going out and doing all these amazing things. And I think for us, it not again, not all of us, but for many of us, that has been a hard place to come to because we have lacked so much opportunity. We have lacked so much autonomy. But I think it's such a good moment for us to be able to be present and saying, Lord, with the with the women in my life, but in particular with the woman in my life, my wife, my significant other, like how do I make room for her? Again, not make room for her in a way that I determine the space, but make room for her in a way that allows for her to flourish in the way God has created created her and crafted her and given her the room to be who she's supposed to be. Cause again, Hippolyta's brilliant. I thought it was I thought it was so dope how they took the time out to show how she figured out the math problem and the equation. Yeah. Behind understanding even how do you work this time machine? You know, and even when she got there, I just thought it was again, even when she was trapped on this celestial place, you know, she was taking apart the panels and she was figuring out the math problems and she was been doing a she was doing like a electrical work in order to get out. I just thought it was fascinating because it spoke to her the depth yeah. of her person. But with her husband, George, whom she loved, she was a wife and a mother. And she tended to his work. And I think it shows I think it showed the depths of black women and, and how how deep our women are. I think again, in one part it is harmful, but other part it is good it's beneficial. I think the depths of love that our women are, are willing to go to to show the men in their life, the husbands in their, in their life, that they love them, that they care about them. Again, I can speak as watching my mother be married to my dad for forty two years. I saw her put up with some stuff, deal with some stuff that I mean, she was amazing to me. And again, my dad was amazing, but my mother is, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am without her, you know? So I just mm-hmm. think that like as brilliant as she is, as social as she is, as, 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 as emotionally intelligent as she is, as conversationally intelligent as she is, there's so much to her that makes her what she is and why she's so special. Yeah. And so I thought that was really, really told very well It was in this episode. It was a really special piece, I think. Um, I think black women do carry this um, ability to really love their men well. And also, in some ways, out of that love, you start losing yourself in that person. I say that that's a fear for me because I am such a person that loves very big. So it's a tendency for me. And I want to be with somebody who knows me enough to say, don't lose yourself for me because I will. And I think that um, a lot of that just comes out of my depth and care for the person. And I want to see them win. And I want to, you know, like, what can I do to help you? How can I, whatever. But at the same time, um, there's a piece of you that can get lost in that. And I think um, it was a really great display, right? It was a display of love and honor and care. And um, what an episode. It was definitely my favorite one so far. And last point on that, I think also this speaks to, Again, for the the heterosexual men who uh, wants to be with a, a black woman, especially, which seems like it's not a 
it's not growing as, as fast of a contingent of black men who are with other black women. That's a whole other issue, though. That's a whole other discussion, a whole other podcast. We will not go there. But I, I do think there's a, a level of responsibility that we have. And there's a level of, I think, honestly, almost a sacredness that we need to carry in entering a relationship with a woman. But in particular, in this American concept, a, a black woman. Because there's so much that you're going to have to be able to protect and protecting and empowering. I think those are two words that have to be a part of the relationship and, you know, being able to empower her, but also protecting her in her space. Again, um, obviously with what happened with Brianna, I think it's just really important that we do that well. So again, uh, another quick highlight. We found out that uh, Atticus finds out that his father is indeed a queer man and it is, I think the prototypical 1950s response that that you would think, but what I thought was fascinating. Yeah, sure. It's a shock that my father is a gay man. It is a shock that my mother knew, but it's a shock in that that's why he was beating me like he was. And that was Atticus's revelation at that point. It was, he was so angry with himself and again, even maybe disgusted with himself uh, unfairly so, but disgusted with himself that he didn't want his son to grow up to be this affectionate queer man so he beat it out of him as best he could and you really saw the level of resentment that he has towards his father especially once he realized what what the the root of it was i mean any person who's experienced abuse at the hand of somebody who is supposed to be the one to love them the most especially a parent that is heartbreaking so that's tough for him um, you all have to go watch this episode. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, if you had a dream that you were pregnant um, by your significant other and it happened in a way that happened to Letty, would you have told Atticus? Remember, she had that dream that she was in the house and burning up in the fire. I mean, she mentioned the dream, but she didn't say nothing about the baby. And then we find out that she smelled that garlic in that house and then she got sick. So it looks like she might be pregnant. So would you have, would you have told Atticus in that moment? Um, if I was, if I had a dream about it, I might've said like what the dream was. Yeah. Mm. I don't think that I would, um, yeah. I mean, cause I don't think she didn't know at that time when yeah. she had the dream. So I, yeah, if it was just a dream, I would say what the dream was. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it was the truth then I'd be like, Oh, oh. Mm. I mean now for me, like I, yeah, I mean, that's something that I would, you know, really prefer to be happening in my life, like when I'm married to somebody. So sure. I'm not nearly as surprised and um, devastated mm -hmm. um, in a sense, because let me tell you, if I got pregnant right now, uh-uh, I would be like, I'd be Jesus. Like, I'd be like, must be the lowest child because it wasn't me. <laughs> exactly. That's what I would say. Every, like, Lord, are we doing um immaculate uh, conception now? Is I would, this, I would, is Lord, a, is I this a married situation? I would lay in bed by myself. Uh, that would just not be, that would not be something I'd be uh, excited yeah. about. I'd be like, that's impossible, God. So um, I think if it's a dream, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd share it. Why not? Well, look, Lovecraft Country is an amazing show. It has passed all my expectations for what it is. We are uh, getting closer to the end. I believe you have three episodes left or something like that. Unfortunately. So, but look, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it so you can stay with us. And look, we just want to thank you all for taking the time to be here. We realized that after last night's uh, chaotic event that it was, that you wanted to hang out with your people, that you wanted mm -hmm. to spend time with Faith and Cameron. We just want you to know that we appreciate you and we love you. And we hope y'all have an amazing, an amazing day. And once again, this is the Salt and Sugar Podcast, and we will see you again next week. We out. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area.